How you doing? Good. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear Recording me? Recording okay? in progress. There we go. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's sorry okay, I didn't pick good. up. It was so funny. I was looking at the number and I thought, maybe that's Denali. And I thought, no, 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 no. We, and you know, like it's always, you never make the right choice. Yeah. It no, might- it's okay. I felt bad because I was like, um, oh, sorry. Like, I don't know if I, I, I hopped on a little early and then freaked out and was like, oh my God, maybe it's another day. And then it was just like spiraling. Oh, I, <laughs> sorry. Don't, no, it's okay. Spiraling. I mean, that's the the mode of the season, right? Like that's the the in thing because uh, after, oh, yeah. the, after the last two years, do you find it's been worse, the spiraling? What's your kind of spiraling like? Oof, I mean, there's different there's different categories of spir- spiraling. You know what I'm saying? There's different flavors. There's different and- days, different flavors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Today is like more of a vanilla spiral. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. Um, has it gotten easier? Yes. It's definitely more manageable. It's definitely like I understand it. You know, yeah. I think prior, if we're referencing like the spiral created from being thrusted into queer reality television and whatnot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that that is getting easier because I understand it now. Like it was harder because I was like figuring it out as it, as it went on, but yeah, it's much easier. (laughs) Yeah. And figuring it out as it went on in the craziest time in everyone's life as well. Mm -hmm. Because when you absolutely, and when you came out of the shooting and when it started airing and everything, uh, yeah. you're still then also in a weird position similar to some of the, the season 12 girls in that you weren't really able to then hop on the tour and capitalize exactly. on it. And I th- yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to ask uh, if there was a feeling of uh, sort of absence of reward, if you will. Yeah, there was kind of like a like a blue balls to the whole uh to the whole experience you know like the season 12 girl sorry i have a dog and she's a anxiety monster oh, um, what's your dog's name donut is her name that's adorable and what kind of dog is donut she's like a maple colored dachshund the senji mix oh. and she's um you know she thinks she's all that she thinks she's gonna protect this home but <laughs> <laughs> you know, she gets scared at her own farts, so I really don't think that's going to happen. But why break the illusion? Why not let her fulfill the fantasy? Yeah, you know, we're all we're all doing drag, so <laughs> right. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, uh, season, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- yeah, there was like a there was like a you know we were all just like ready ready at the racehorse gate, like ready to just go and ready to explode out into the world. And it was so frustrating having to watch the majority of our season from our houses, you know, we missed out on like the viewing party, um, experience. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm not upset about it because, um, you know, we're in an era right now of hyper over surgence or whatever the word is of RuPaul's drag race. There is a new series coming out every single week. (laughs) It's like a, you know, like a new color of crayon or something like it's, it's insane. And we were like right on the cusp of it before it exploded. Right. And we were, because we were pandemic season, 
um, everybody was bored and they were at home and they were engaging and watching a lot more than I think that they normally would. So as much as I'm like sad because we missed out on only about like a third of our year um, with, you know, the gigs and stuff like that, I'm not too upset because at the end of the day, uh, it created longevity with a few of us um, that were popular that were, um, you know, came out of it somewhat unscathed. Um, and, uh, I'm not, I'm not mad at, because I, I was able to build a strong fan base that really engaged in us and really loved, you know, I, if not to be like one of these girls that looks at numbers and stuff, but if you're looking at the numbers of, uh, followers or engagement or, or ratings, yeah. or I don't know, things like that. Uh, there's just so much going on now in the world versus when it was that I don't know if, uh, like the current season is getting the same kind of attention, not to say it is a bad season. I actually love this season. I love these girls. Yeah. Especially. Um, I will say I'm exhausted by the production elements within it, <laughs> Yeah, but I'm, I'm obsessed with these Queens. They're so good. Yeah. And it's definitely not uh, any kind of patch on the Queens. It's more that the, the sheer oh. flood of seasons and yeah. the different seasons and even trying to ca- keep up with uh, who's on what and how many there are. I can't even tell you how many are going at the moment. That's how many there are. <laughs> Girl, same. I'm exhausted by it. And <laughs> as someone that went from fan of the show to product of the show, it's you, you, re- you build a completely different relationship with it now. And yeah. it's harder to feel like such a fan of the show, not only because of um, the excess of drag race that's coming about. You'd think that that would be like what fans would want. Right. But there used to be this really cute period of time when you were a fan of show, a uh, fan of the show, when um, you would watch it and you'd engage with it and be so fun. And then there would just be this like dry spell and you were like craving drag race so much. You were just like, God, I can't wait for it to get back. I can't wait to have the viewing parties with my friends and do this, this and that. And um, because of the excess of it, there's not that like, temptation period there's not that like oh i want it so bad you know like no, it's true. Uh, i think that 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 period was really fun as a fan i agree with you because also it allowed the memories of each queen to really sink in there and everyone really had their yeah. favorites and it was about thinking about the seasons re-watching the seasons uh re-watching yeah. favorite moments and everything it'll be interesting to see how fandom takes shape in this new expanded oversaturated era <laughs> right oversaturated area that, that is a such a good term for it i also think that like back in the time ta- back then um the the crown and making it to the end and and actually winning was so much more precious it was so much more yeah exclusive and cool and not as produced so like there was a lot more meaning to it and now um it's just there's so much going on and the, and even the fans are aware of the production elements within it that it's really hard to uh uphold like the i'm not trying to take away any successes or any accomplishments that the queens that have won yeah. in more recent seasons but i think everyone is just a lot more aware of things and it's just like sometimes you're like oh this person won okay cool <laughs> i don't know well there you is that I mean? that feeling of like okay so then the next week someone else will win and then I guess UK will happen. I remember when UK and US were running at the same time, I had to stagger it because I tried doing the alternating and I went, especially in the intro episodes, 
I was yeah. like, I can't. I, this is too much for me to yeah. take on, and I have other yeah. things to do in my day as well. So there's right. that. <laughs> exactly. It's funny though, because exactly. so, sometimes I get like panic face blindness at public events, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, especially like, and these days it's getting better, but it can happen. And especially when you're there, a whole bunch of queens, you're like, I, I think I know who that is. I think, it, or they change their look. Who, who, who Girl, yeah. <laughs> do you get that too? Absolutely. Even as someone that came from the show, I struggle with being like. Oh, sorry. Like somebody, somebody mentioned a queen from not even a season that long ago. And I will not say who it was, but um, they were like, yeah. And and she was here. And I was like, I was like, is that like, I was like, is that a local girl? And it was like, no girl. She was on like two seasons ago. And I was like, oh shit. Like, it's just a lot. And, you know, plus the Rolodex of drag race queen names. It's like, you know, um, it's like, Jessica Envy, Sasha, <laughs> sexy sumptuous, queen. and you're just like, yeah, yeah, and so you're just like, right, I know Jessica, sexy Sasha. Like, like it's just hard. What threw me is back when there started to be more than one O'Hara, and then there was an O'Hara right. and an O'Hara, and then it was. I thought, okay, how do I pronounce which one? Because if there's only two choices, it's like, take. Do you take yeah. a right or do you take a left? If someone's driving me home, yeah, and I'll be like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure because it's just the two simple choices, but right. And the Queens just get so offended. They're like, how (laughs) dare you mispronounce my name when there's 47 of us? How dare you? And that compounds your inner terror, which only compounds the problem because you're like, oh no, now if I say this wrong, they're going to get offended. And so then it's just the spirals and the, all that stuff going on. But you have a vanilla spiral going on today. Very nice. (laughs) Uh, That's more of just like a, my, it's sort of like the new list making. Yeah, like a vanilla spiral is like, I'm aware of what's happening. I, I see the flavor. It's nothing that intense. I just see it. I am able to label it. And I'm making steps in order to, <laughs> um, in order to, like, relieve it and, and move on with my day. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it could be a list of mundane things, but there's like a, a sort of an abject terror, like, oh my God, I got to do this. And all the stuff is just like the laundry and then like uh, file maintenance. That, that's simple yes. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How have you been in general with anxiety throughout your life? Is it sort of a recurring theme or something that's gone up and down? Uh, it's frustrating throughout my life because I never talked about it until post my figure skating career, which is when I needed it the most. Um, during competitive figure skating, I had no grip on my mental wellness or my mental uh, strength in, in general. Like I, I was never a tough competitor. I wanted to figure skate because of the showmanship aspect of it, because of the performance quality of it. I loved it so much. And I just really loved it as a, like the purity of like childlike, uh, you know, fun. Yeah. Um, I'm not a very competitive person. I'm competitive with myself and I have a lot of personal goals, but I don't really need to be like the best in the room or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, so throughout my skating career, I wish that I kind of, was able to dissect why I was feeling a certain type of way when I was younger. And I just never, it it just wasn't talked about back then, you know? And that was only what, like, you know, 15 years ago. It's not that long ago. Um, But it's it's light years. Sorry to interrupt, but it's light years though, in terms of how we all discuss everything. Yeah. Especially now, like we are so good at talking about it all that like, it's just a lot easier. And even kids these days, Gen Z is so good at being like, I think I'm feeling anxious right now and I'm going to take these steps because I know what it all is, you know? And I'm just like, damn, I'm jealous. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know those damn kids. They're so great. I love Gen Z with things like that, the advancements in that, and also in uh, even just uh, gender identity, sexuality, oh. uh, talking about yeah. politics, like getting to see their thoughts on TikTok is mm. fantastic because you're really like, oh, we're moving forward. We are. Even though it looks like we're not mm -hmm. in all these other aspects, we're moving forward. Yeah, no, this generation is like so annoying with so many things, <laughs> but they're also so progressive and I'm so proud of them. I, I'm looking at all of these TikToks and videos of like walkouts in Florida and things like that as like, you know, um, they're as they're protesting like the don't say gay bill. And it's like, dang, you guys are really cool. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really cool. So, mm. nope. but yeah, back to the question, I just... Yeah. My relationship with anxiety, it's fluctuated so much, but there's so much more of a better understanding of everything, even even like how I was feeling today um, and just being able to like address them, listing things and like moving forward and, and really attacking it with like a goal list the way that I would, you know, as a as a figure skater or as an athlete or whatever. Yeah, I'm similarly minded in that. I find if I name it or at least talk about it, once I talk about yeah. it, the, the big, crazy, uh, scary dragon just disappears in, into smoke most yeah, of the time. Yeah, 100%. And even, Thank God for therapy. Right? And Exactly. And even if there's like an after effect, you know, when you're like, oh, I almost can smell that smoke, but it's it's okay. You can yeah. smell it. It's it's all right. <laughs> right. Now, when, yeah, exactly. When you started figure skating, who were mm -hmm. the figure skaters that piqued your interest? Um. So really it was the the girls around me that I grew up with in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, uh, my sister was a beautiful, beautiful ice skater. And I was like, I want to be just like her. And I want to, you know, like I think femininity and like that portrayed on the ice, it's just entrancing. Like it's just so alluring to a young gay boy. You know, I was just like, wow, this is my first time being exposed to beautiful things. You know, and I make the joke that like uh, on the show, I said something about how I was obsessed with chandeliers because of my my gown or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so many people made fun of me, but like I never got to explain myself. You know, you only get like a, a certain blurb of words when you're on the <laughs> runway. And so it's like, hello, I like chandeliers. So I dressed as a chandelier. It's just weird. <laughs> um, but it was me as a young kid being obsessed and, and being drawn to beautiful objects, ornate things and things that were just like queer, queerly attractive, if that's even a word. Um, so figure skating was the same thing. Like all of the women around me that I grew up with, they were amazing on the ice. They were athletic and that was just powerful to me at the same time. So graceful and feminine. So I was obsessed. Um, so I did that, but as I, as I, uh, continued on in my career, I got obsessed with, um, Yuna Kim. She is the South Korean, um, Olympic champion from 2014, I think. Um, again, just smooth as butter that, that mixture of elegance on the ice with athleticism. I think it's just like, oh, amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. Gr and growing <laughs> up in Fairbanks, describe that a little mm -hmm. bit. I have a bit of an impression of Fairbanks because my a friend of mine Rick grew up in Fairbanks so uh no way. yeah Rick Webb I don't know if you know him and if not maybe you will someday at a big Fairbanks yeah. reunion uh but the uh <laughs> describe Fairbanks and growing up as a young gay kid and sure. interested in figure skating yeah I mean Fairbanks has nothing like Fairbanks is uh it's a town of about 50,000 within the Fairbanks proper. Obviously, it's huge. Like, it, Alaska is so expansive. So, everything is so spread out. 
And um, I think in all of Fairbanks in that general, like Denali area is like 115 or 20,000. It's really not too many, uh, but it is the second largest city in Alaska. Um, but growing up queer in a town like that just feels so like stifling. I felt constantly like I had dreams and I had goals and I had all of this crazy wild imagination of being a star or whatnot, but feeling equally frustrated and um, um, just kind of like confined because of those city limits and because of where I was. And my parents had no interest in theater or putting me in anything that was any, you know, anything sort of kind of like uh, anything that was close to being a star. Like I used to watch Nickelodeon all the time and be like, I want to walk the orange carpet. Like, (laughs) yeah. um, So I had all these dreams as a kid, but it just felt really limiting. So figure skating was my one outlet to possibly being a star. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And I was like, this is a beautiful thing and I'm talented in it. And I also think that I could, I, I could make something of myself within it. So that was why I worked so hard because I had that dream. Mm-hmm. And what were the first figure skating experiences like? And what is it like for a young queer kid in Fairbanks to get into figure skating? Oh my God, it was everything. It was the only gay outlet in skating or in, in, in Alaska. Like, yeah. I, I always make the joke that if you're a, a if you're in Alaska and you're trying to do an extracurricular activity as a kid, you have three options and that's um, skiing, skating, or getting pregnant. And (laughs) I, I decided to choose the gayest one. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, I, um, I was just so drawn to its, its queerness, its, its glamour, its drama, Mm -hmm. its artistry. And it was my first exposure to queer people. There were two, gorgeous queens that skated with me one was named misha who is now a trans woman and one was named lily who is now a trans woman and i'm so proud of them um but at the time they were just being so authentically themselves and the, the rink was their their sanctuary as well their place of freedom and i didn't even realize it that that they were my first that, that they were my first versions and exposure to queerness that i knew and um uh, I've told them now to this day after I've had my own personal success, how thankful I am for their authenticity at that time when I was like six, seven, eight, nine, and I had no idea what it was that I was seeing. I was just like, wow, look at this, look at this goddess wearing a wig to the rink today or like her tight leggings and like her, her wrists. Oh, there was a Misha was always criticized for her wrists because they were too bent they were too thin and you know what i'm saying like now it is like yes come on you better bend that wrist bitch. like i was just it was like i used to be so scared of it too like oh my god i can't believe she's being that fan um meanwhile i have like a a, a, a foot long rat tail braided down to my back like you know like i can't believe it um but yeah, they were my first exposure, and I'm so grateful for those the tiny little three person queer circle that was at the ice rink. Yeah, it's really amazing when you think about the things that um, you see as a beacon, even though you don't know why they're a beacon. You don't have the language totally. for it. You don't really know maybe that you're gay or queer in that way, but you know that there's a difference, yeah. and there's something that just yeah. uh, attracts you to those, um, I guess, beacons of hope and uh, and light. Yeah. Yeah. What were yours? I'm so curious. Well, 
mine and i only realized i was queer like five years ago but i did have a period mm-hmm. when i was younger that i thought maybe i'm gay and then i okay. was it, that by confusion thing you know the classic oh yeah. wait a second i still like girls i'm dating a girl so i guess that's not true but i also yeah. um definitely was drawn towards all queer things uh as a kid i remember reading john waters uh, article in rolling stone about the hundred uh, places to go in los angeles and then you know divine i remember cutting out the ad for hairspray when it was coming out yeah yeah and so that and also david bowie and in terms of people i'm not sure in the uh area i grew up in which was fairly populated and everything in massachusetts but i don't know if there was a a single person although later on when i was in my teens there was a manager at anubri comics who was very out and very queer and i was very drawn Mm -hmm. to them but at the time the language i had for it was they're really cool (laughs) (laughs) that's how i felt about lily and misha i was like they're just cool and it was like i think it's just confidence you know you saw people that were confident and you're like wow that's really cool Absolutely. And I remember being very enamored of drag queens in particular, who or yeah. any very swishy gay person because swishy. Because yeah. <laughs> I just loved it. Like any boys in the band type of uh yeah. thing. Because it's like very confident and especially looking at historical examples, you mm-hmm. think, oh, they were doing this uh when it wasn't um as easy to do so. Definitely. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Oh, and Warhol. Thank God. That's right, and Warhol. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, that's it, awesome. It, thanks. Yeah. And if you get a chance, watch the Warhol Diaries on Netflix. I just saw them. They're really great. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I definitely will. Really, really good. And it gives a sort of mm. more personal per- portrayal of his relationships than has previously sort of been uh, gone over. Right. And so at what age did you move to Chicago? Because I know you went to Utah, right, in, mm. in the in-between. Yeah. Yes, I went to college in Salt Lake City, uh, Land of the Moes, and I had a good time there. It was actually kind of where I really discovered my queerness, surprisingly, because I was surrounded by ice skaters, um, a Jack Mormon family, which is what the term for like a Mormon family that doesn't really practice or like doesn't believe everything that's within <laughs> their, um, you know, their their beliefs and things like that. Yeah. And I had a, a uh, I was staying with a host family and I had a mother who was very Mormon that really like secretly was like, yeah, but like, you're cool. Don't worry. Like you can be gay. We love it. Um, and that really, that really helped me. And so I did, I spent some time in Salt Lake and that was great. And then I moved to Chicago only five years ago. So I was 25 and um, I moved there because I was at a time in my life this seems to happen in a lot of people's lives when like so much is extracted and so much is just kind of like erased that you get to start clean. And like, it was really nice for me to just be like, I want to pursue whatever I want to pursue. I'm single. I don't have a job. And I just want to like, I just want to do me. I just want to like literally start anew. And um, I'm really glad that at that time, everything was extracted from my life because I wouldn't have obviously pursued drag so heavily and I would not have made it onto drag race most likely. So Chicago is a huge, um, like it represents a huge cleanse in my life that I would say. Yeah. So what, how would you typify 
your life before the cleanse? What were you cleansing? What were you getting away from? Yeah, let me, let me not be so vague, okay? Um, <laughs> well, that's my job. I got to be like, hey, now, hold on a second. And what so, we- <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, because yeah. I was being vague and I realized I was, I'd like to say a shout out. I don't know if uh, Robbie listens, but Robbie Phillips, uh, who used to be at Newbury Comics, uh, just a shout out to you for being a sort of beacon of uh, possibility. So thank you. Aww, and a very sweet, and a very sweet guy. Yeah. So, oh, I love it. So, uh, uh, yes. So let me think. So, um, I see this story a lot and I say, I, I say it because it, it's important and it's impactful and it was like a good, it's kind of a crazy story. But, um, so after my, um, competitive figure skating career, you know, you have this skill as a figure skater and you're like, what do I do with it? Cause I'm like, I trained all my life and now I'm like, just going to throw it away. So, um, you have two options. You go into coaching or you go into professional ice skating, which is where you skate to make money and travel and you tour and you perform, uh, you know, the Disney on ice, the cruise ships, the things like that. So I decided to try cruise ships. I had some friends that did it before and liked it. Um, and I loved it. So I ended up staying on cruise ships for about four or five years, um, from about age 20 to 25. And, um, I, I loved it, but it gets really, really, really constricting again. I really don't do well with confinement, uh-huh. uh, whether it was Fairbanks, Alaska, or cruise ships, or seatbelts, or jackets, or rules, <laughs> or or condoms, yeah. <laughs> no, belts, pants, like, the, the whole thing. Yeah. It's it's a nonsense game they're playing. You know, when when you like, let me go <laughs> on the cruise ships, uh, what were some of the uh, shows that you were doing, and how long would the runs oh, yeah, be? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, 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 they were all st- sorts of different themed shows and styled shows, but they were um, ice skating shows that were on cruise ships. So it was like a tiny little ice rink, and they would employ ten professional figure skaters to come and sh- uh, uh, do shows for the guests. Um, granted, the guests were like old and white and falling asleep in front of the, you know, <laughs> in the fr- front row because they had tanned all day and they're exhausted. <laughs> um, so it wasn't the most like gratifying audience to perform for, but um, it was good money. You had no expenses. You traveled the world. You worked two times a week and all you did was ice skating. So it was like the best gig. It was so fun. Um, and you were with like-minded other skaters and you got to be part of the production crew and ships are so gay. So there was a huge community of queer people. It was really fun. So basically, um, a, I, instead of just Alan Chuck's queer cruises, basically every cruise is a queer cruise. This is what oh, we're learning. Hundred percent, Mama. <laughs> let's come on. Let's be. Let's be real. Like the Atlantis cruises is just actual like cruises. Like like that's just normal. <laughs> it's cruising, <laughs> if you know what I mean. It's cruising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, it was fun, and I, I connected more to my queerness. I, that was when I was first introduced to Drag Race. We'd all get together and watch season five, I think it was, on this one ship. And I was like, wait a minute, I think I can do that. Um, it was really fun. I had a good time and I traveled in it, but it did get really restricting. And I was like, this, the world has to be bigger than this. Like, there's always that pattern of frustration in my life that I'm like, it has to be bigger. There has to be more. And yeah. that's when it pushes me into a new area. So um, I finished my last cruise ship contract and then I got offered the best gig of my life. It was Cirque du Soleil. They were doing their first ever ice skating show and it was going to change the game and just be this amazing thing. And then they wanted me, they wanted little old me who is not an Olympian, not somebody that had really done a lot with their a- amateur career, but, but didn't you win two gold medals circuit. though? Didn't you win two gold medals? Oh, 
<laughs> that is like a it's so funny i you read something somewhere i did um, well look you know i like to do my research you know i like to know my things and i want to make sure so that sweet. i didn't uh, uh leave out any accomplishment it's giving hot ones have you seen that interview show with the spicy wings yes i yes i i love that yeah yeah he like researches things really like like <laughs> like really detailed and people are like how the f do you know that um, <laughs> i have spooked people out by the way they're like wait, oh, when I do love it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um no the gold medals that's just kind of like a it's like a test track thing in figure skating that you have to kind of do it's like like oh, everybody has it it's not oh, okay. really like exclusive i'm sorry like it's kind of weird wording um but I, 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 you know, I medaled nationally. I was on an international team. Like I did stuff, but I still wasn't as competitive. Um, but still, it was such an honor to be uh, with other Olympians in this Cirque du Soleil show and yeah. people that that I did know that were like big names. So I was like, whoa, this is cool. But they they asked me because I have acrobatic experience that I blended with ice skating. That's why I do backflips on ice. That's why I do all of that. Um, so they were like, okay, th she'll be a good fit. Uh, so, uh, we, we do an install for the show for three months in Montreal. It was so grueling. Uh, it was so long. And then we start going on tour and I'm starting to realize that this production is not going to make me as happy as I thought I was. First of all, it's like 97% straight people. Oh. And I'm, I'm, I'm 25. I'm at a place where I cannot live my life unless I'm surrounded by queer people, period. Like I just really can't be around straight people. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was, I was getting unhappy. I was just like, I was yearning for that community and that, that connection. And I also signed for two years with this show. It was, so, it was going to be the longest contract I'd ever done. And I'm already really frustrated with the cruise ships, feeling confined by it, feeling a little too over-controlled, yeah. um, yearning for something artistic. And the production of this show focused more on, the acrobats and not the ice skaters and not us like being part of the show. They didn't care. They were like, Oh, you guys can move fast from point A to point B. Why don't you push this prop? Why don't you like push this tree? Oh, yeah, yeah. And why don't you just like, you know, you had Olympians, like they're not focused on what we can actually do in our talents. So there was just multiple things like really bogging me down. Uh, and I started to, um, I started to partake in a bit of booger sugar Yes, I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I started to make some poor choices and in no way was I using, in no way was I abusing, but I was doing it enough that I was escaping something. I was definitely doing it because I was unhappy. And um, I, uh, it's very accessible on the circus, by the way. And oh, then, sure. um, well, pretty yeah, much any, so, any touring or, production based situation 100% right because uh, yeah. and especially stimulants because it's a time honored tradition in show business that the show must go on and it's uh, mm -hmm. you know it, it's showtime folks the, the, the list goes on of examples yeah it doesn't matter if you're tired that day or whatnot like it, it can just get you alert and get you going you know what I'm saying so uh yeah i started to really get into some bad habits and um we were in san antonio texas the land of liberty and <laughs> that's where the alamo is and, right isn't that where the alamo is yeah it sure is the, yeah. you know ozzy osbourne got arrested there because i think i know where the story is going i thought you might enjoy this ozzy osbourne got arrested there one of the many times he got arrested for pissing on the alamo so 
Interesting. <laughs> oh my god, Ozzy and I have a cute little connect. Oh, I and, love and that. He, he was wearing a dress as well because Sharon had hid all his clothing <laughs> because she was trying to prevent him from going out drinking and carousing. Nothing can prevent oh Ozzy from doing that. So there you go. No. There's a drag and. Yes! Wait, why don't I know this story? This is incredible. Well, it's literally parallel. Well, this is perfect. Now, now you incredible. do, and now I'm going to hear the rest of your uh, San Antonio okay. treat. <laughs> so I might not have urinated on the Alamo, but I did go out with the two uh, gays that were on the, the tour with me, and we were like just yearning to get away. We were like, we have to get away from these straights, and let's just like go out and have a good night. And this is only like our fourth or fifth city, like on the tour. It's very early. Mm-hmm. Um, I find some little, you know, booger sugar of my own and <laughs> got it from like a sad stripper and like this, this, uh, uh, San Antonio club. And, um, you know, we're partaking, we're having a good night and then we're trying to leave. And little do we know that this specific club is being patrolled and it's being kind of like circled by cops and they're looking for any suspicious, suspicious activity. So we're just leaving a a gaggle of gays, just leaving. We just wanted to go home. Um, and they approach us and, uh, my friend is so freaked out and has never been approached by the cops or is just so privileged that at 33 years old decides to run and is freaked out, you know, is just decides to bolt like as they approach us when like really i was like oh hi officers like nothing is wrong yeah. and then bolts and immediately because they bolt they quote unquote get, had reason to search us which i actually didn't know you can deny you i i did not know that like if they say we have to search you now like you're allowed to deny that like guess you're right and i wish i'd known that i was just being compliant and freaking out and they found my cocaine and then um I was booked along with my friend who ran at the San Antonio precinct for like 11 hours. It was grueling and, and so frightening and so scary. There's a gorgeous mugshot of me with my face turned to the left and my jawline <laughs> looking so fierce. I look so scared, but like, um, it's kind of, it's kind of giving. Um, and then I, you know, we, we, we pay for bail and then, uh, we decide within each other to not tell productions, to not tell Cirque du Soleil. We're like, we'll figure it out. We're just going to move forward. It should be fine. Let's just keep it quiet. And I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, the next morning, um, there is a huge article posted all over San Antonio in the San Antonio Times that is like, Cirque du Soleil artists arrested days uh-huh. before show in San Antonio for controlled substance uh, possession and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm just like, no! Like, devastated. Yeah. And like, our our Instagram pictures are in it and our, our mug shots are like, blasted on there my phone was going crazy and uh i was just really embarrassed and so you know day of the show comes in uh also my mom is from texas so she's really excited to see the show and this is the first show that she comes to see oh no i know so i had to get pulled in from the office and uh the guy our our show director is like hey okay i wish you guys had told me this to happen because we could have maybe like done something about it but either way we're gonna take you out of the show for like two weeks and we're going to figure out what to do with the situation just to be safe. Cause we don't want you guys showcased in the show while the height of this controversy is going. So we're like totally understandable, but like praying that we still have our jobs I had to tell my mom, I was like, sorry, I fucked up. Um, 
and you're not going to be able to see the show, but I'm so sorry or whatever. And how did, by like, the way, how, okay. did that, how did that go? Uh, what was your mom's <laughs> comprehension of either sort of partying? What's, you know, cause some parents, they've yeah. been around, some parents never have. Yeah. And so what was that like? It was sad. I was, you know, it was more so like, I'm just, okay. I'm, I'm happy that you're safe. I'm just disappointed because you know that you're better than this. And I was like, I oh, know, <laughs> you know, it was hard, but, um, yeah. And I really wanted her to see me in the show, but either way, um, she was very motherly and she was being a good mom at that point. Um, so difficult, but it had a nice resolution as nice as it could be. Yeah. She just wanted to make sure I was okay. And it was just really, you know, I just needed like a hug from my mommy at that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it was fine. And then, um, you know, two weeks passed and we we're not allowed to go on the show. We went, we moved on to our next two cities. And I think one of them was like in Florida or something. Um, then they flew in the VP of Cirque du Soleil and they had meetings with us. Um, the first was my friend that ran and he was fine. He was like, got a slap on the wrist and was like, don't worry. You know, came to me and was like, oh my God, just finished my meeting. Everything's fine. We're going to be okay. We're going to still be in the show. Like we just need to take like a break for probation. And then we'll like still be in the show. Don't worry. We're going to be good. They bring me into the room and then they slide me a resignation letter oh, and no. they're like, so sorry, but you were the one that had the drugs and you have to go. And like, that was it. You know, it was just like, I'm telling you like that moment was like the worst in my life. And I had struggled with, I'd struggled with depression. I'd struggle with things in my life. I, there was a moment when I was a young teenager and I was real dramatic and I had struggled with self-harm and things like that. All of it came flooding back in that one moment. And I was like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to live anymore. Like right here, right now, this is like it for me. Like I was so devastated. Yeah. Um, I, I remember calling my boyfriend and just like, it wasn't even like a weep or a sob. It was like an exorcism. <laughs> like it was just so bad. And I was just so devastated. So, um, I got fired from the show. My friend that ran and the was the cause of the issue gets to stay. Um, I'm basically used as like a lesson to the rest of the, the cast that like, if you're doing drugs, we're going to take it really seriously. Even though they continued to do drugs on that cast and continued to have a lot of problems and whatever. Sure. Well, this, but, is, this um, is typical of the whole drug arrest thing, right? There's no reason to arrest yeah. a, a gay guy uh, on the street for having drugs on them or anyone really, no. you know, but like if that had happened in Los Angeles girl or <laughs> anywhere else. Yeah. They'd be like, they'd be like at, at the worst. I want to think like an old uh, New York movie, like, Hey, smarten up kid, go home. Uh, yeah. But like, yeah, there's cops walking around LA that are walking through certain districts at certain times of night. that just go, yeah, probably a lot of them have drugs, but like, we're looking for fights. We're looking for problems. Yeah. Come on. Like, it's just, it's like, it's just frustrating because that was like maybe my fourth or fifth time ever doing cooking. Like I was just like, of course this would happen. To me. Yeah. Right. When also um, uh, too, the, the, the whole thing of like all the follow on theatrics that happen because they're using you as an example. Yeah. They're this and people are going, Oh, of course we mm -hmm. never would. And of course they're doing it too. So it's just more of that hypocrisy that you see a lot of with, mm -hmm. with booze drinkers, but you know. Yeah. And I felt so, you know, tokenized i felt like nothing but dangled in front of everybody as like an example and like uh, i felt discriminated against at times I, I felt like there were no queer people that were there to protect me and the straights were definitely only using me as an example so it was just like who can i turn to it felt really really lonely and 
my boyfriend at the time was the only one there for me. And he really saved me from a lot of depressive thoughts. Um, but I came home and I uh, was super sad for a little while. And then I really just addressed it. And I was like, why? Why are you so unhappy? And what is it that you need to make yourself happy? What are we going to do? And that's when I was like, the only thing making you happy right now is drag and the thought of doing drag. So why don't you go out there and like find some friends and like really try and do some drag. So I did. I met some people in Chicago. I worked my way up in the competition ranks here in Chicago. I was booked almost every single week because of my performance abilities. There really wasn't a dance girl in Chicago at the time. Um, and then, um, a year later, two years later, I was like, I think that I'm in a good spot to try and audition for this show. Like, let me see if this is what could happen. And I yeah. did. And then I, I made it. And it wasn't until I got that phone call on that Friday night that that resignation letter feeling and that moment of like being so confused as to why everything would line up so beautifully for something so terrible to happen. Yeah. None of that made sense until... I got that call that was like, Hey, you're going to be on season 13 of RuPaul's Drag Race. And I was like, Oh, okay. I get it now. You are, know, are you a believer in the sense of the universe pr presenting bad things in our life oh, yeah. to ultimately result in the good things like that as 100%. well? 100%. Yeah. I mean, I have to be like, I literally, if I were to ignore like how the extraction process did not produce this like amazing thing that's happened the, the most amazing thing that's ever happened in my life i think that that would just be rude universe <laughs> it would just be it would just be like it would just be incorrect and um so you know anytime that like i just did a university gig in uh orlando and the kids are always my favorite because they're just so like they're just so excited and we did an interview and i tell them this story and i was like truly i say it a lot of my shows like truly anybody that's going through something right now where you feel like you're losing it all and everything is is not working out um understand the the process and the meaning of the words divine timing because it might not make sense right now but really 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 will later um i promise you i was like i truly promise you it's happened in my life multiple times and you're gonna get it and you're gonna it's all gonna click one day it's true and if i think back to the biggest disruptions in my life they ultimately yeah. led to the best things and it, but it is still yeah. hard to keep that present in your mind, but it's the thing, especially anyone listening who might be going through something uh, difficult right now, just keep going because the only thing that can screw it up in general is if you give in and mm -hmm. go along with the feelings or the sense that either you're not worth it or uh, you're a fraud or whatever those bad thoughts can be fight. those. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's really hard to do that, but like, um, hold on to the small little tiny things of hope that are saying like, no, I think I might be able to fix this. And also, know? and also grab <laughs> on to things that you can be uh, grateful for because it's mm -hmm. easy to lose that, particularly when you lose a contract like that, for instance, and there's the shame, which is still in a taboo area. It's really not a big deal. You know, when you think about people using mm -hmm. substances, cause there's blackouts on the street every day. Um, yeah. but there's that shame and the guilt and all of that stuff. But, um, there, you know, I, I think also with you, you found the drag thing and, and apparently, and obviously a, a, um, a sense of gratitude for that. Oh my God. Yeah. Drag, 
I'm not going to say that drag saved my life because like everybody says that and whatever, but, um, <laughs> could you say it sh- maybe, maybe it shaved your life? Would you? It shaved my life. <laughs> it shaved a lot of things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like butter. No, you I said just, earlier. That's yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it just like drag was the next step. It was the next, uh, phase of my life. My life changes every like four to five years. And now I'm at the end of another four or five year mark. And I'm like, okay, what's next? And that's where a lot of this spirally anxiety comes along the vanilla spiral of today. Cause I'm like, what is next? I'm not really totally sure. But like, again, if I can trust the processes that have happened and shown up in my life every four to five years, yeah. I can trust that it's going to move me in that next direction. And I feel at 30 so much less concerned about what's coming next. Cause I, I, I just know the process already. Yeah. And again, yeah. it's tough to keep in mind, but you're doing a good job of doing that because something will arrive and it, you'll go, Oh, wait a second. This is the thing I've been working on subconsciously yeah. and through, you know, maybe you're in a rabbit hole of certain information or whatever. And then that comes to the forefront, which is uh, <laughs> something I like to remind people about too. If you find yourself dr- drawn to a subject or something, just keep going that direction. Cause that might lead you to the thing that you ultimately want to do. Absolutely. Now, when you said about uh, thinking about drag, do you remember the first um, experiences you had either seeing drag or maybe even experimenting with drag yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Season five was definitely like the first season I saw. And I was like, I think I can totally do this. I love to perform and I love to be under lights and on stage and to like be performing queerness, I think is so cool. And it's so fresh and fun. Um. So it was definitely season five, like Alaska and Roxy Detox. Um, Were those your, those then, your favorite queens? Uh, I didn't really have a favorite queen. Alaska definitely stood out to me uh, on that season. I loved her so much. Well, but, she, and she um, is very tall, so it helps. <laughs> she's very tall, <laughs> and she teases her hair up into that nasty beehive, so you can't miss it. <laughs> um, yeah, so season five was definitely my first exposure, but I had seen drag queens before. Like, I think we used to go to um, we used to go to Palace in Miami when we were on ships, and we would go to the brunches. And I think Fantasia, Fantasia Royale Gaga, who was you know you know Fantasia, everybody knows Fantasia by the titties. Um, <laughs> she was the first queen I think I'd ever saw perform live, and I was just I was just entranced. Like there's just something so hypnotizing about drag, especially when you're uh, a young queer kid. So. Um, I'm so glad that even younger generations get to be exposed to it now. But yeah, I would say season five in Fantasia, that was like my first time. And then my first time experimenting with it was on cruise ships when we would do like back deck parties and any excuse that I had to dress up for a back deck party. Oh, mama, I would put on a sad little red lip. I think I did a Selena look one time and I just thought I was eating it. I was like, yes, I look so good. And I looked a fucking mess. But I... Yeah, I was like, okay, I I enjoy doing this and dressing up and feeling fun. Yeah. So you must have really uh, gone in on the deep end with all of the clubs and all of the places that you went to when you were on the location stops on the cruise ships. Yeah. Well, we couldn't because at night, we always had to be back on the ships. Oh, I see. So you never got to experience nightlife. You always just got to do like excursions with, you know, 30 other 60-year-old women. And, you know, like 
just do like a sad little gondola ride around Cozumel. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, there's gotta be more to this. There's, I, I was yearning for nightlife for really, really hard for sure. Now, do you find yourself exulting in nightlife now that you can go places and actually be there? And what is your comfort level in nightlife given that you had the uh, incident that you described before? Does that give you any kind right. of um, apprehension? Trauma. No, not at all. I leaned more into it. You know, I was like, this is, these are my people. This is my home. Like I knew the circumstances around it were just, you know, shitty. It was just like Texas and just like, yeah, you know, like whatever. Now I leaned into it even more. And now my home bar here in Chicago, I, I still, even after I came back from Drag Race, was like, I want to go to Berlin and I just want to see my friends and I just want to dance all night and feel like everything is just like how it used to be. Cause like, you know, it's like such a shitty club. It's like, so it's like, so, you know, the ceilings are falling apart and like the basement downstairs where you get ready is like three feet tall. And it's just like, everything kind of sucks. But like when you're in those four walls and it's like one in the morning and like Caroline is DJing and like the drinks are flowing and everything just feels so good. Like it feels like, it feels like heaven. It's just so good. There's no place like a, queer dance floor moment with your friends like it's just so oh, it's perfect <laughs> yeah now with the yeah. first bars that you went to in chicago when you moved there uh -huh. what were some of those and the first place you performed at i suppose first the first place i went to actually was my home bar was oh berlin, okay berlin nightclub um it's uh yeah it's just kind of like a hole in the wall next to the belmont red line station and it's where a lot of the alt drag comes from in Chicago. Um, Chicago has kind of a bit of everything, but it's Berlin especially cultivated a lot of like, do whatever you want kind of drag and like, um, you know, very adjacent to like Brooklyn drag or Denver drag and things like that. So um, I, I kind of was like the pop girl within this like alternative scene at Berlin, but I liked it because no one really, no one really cared. No one was like, you know, and also there's a huge comedy scene in Chicago and a lot of like dumb performances were cultivated at that club. You know, things that were just like, like one of my friends did a three minute number of her just sneezing the whole time. <laughs> That's impressive. It's quite it's a, all she did. Quite an you achievement. Know? Yeah. No, she didn't actually sneeze, but it was like a, her lip syncing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. But still the commitment, <laughs> you know? the commitment to the uh, premise. Yes. It was amazing. So it's just like, being a little more creative and dumb and enjoying and having fun with drag, not taking life too seriously. That's what Berlin was all about. Um, so that's like my first bar, but um, you know, the boys town strip I would go to often for work, but I didn't enjoy the crowd a lot. It's a lot more, um, it's just a lot more commercial and white and like, <laughs> oh, oh, you mean you like the, what they call West Hollywood. <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah 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 so there's a time and a place for that for sure but if i'm trying to like feel community i'm not going to i'm not going to voice out <laughs> sure yeah you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. did you it, now did you ever uh come up against any kind of bias like that when trying to book gigs you know um not really i had the i i understand my privilege i understand my white passingness um and things like that and i also uh you know at the time of my come up i was um really good friends with like the one individual in chicago that gate that gate kept a lot of chicago drag to be honest so i benefited from a lot of that privilege and i'm aware of that 
um, because there are a lot of people in Chicago that did not benefit from that privilege and that were discriminated against. And there's still, there was still a lot of work at the time that I was coming up needed to be done to make sure that things were diverse and um, fair in Chicago. It's much better now. It still, still needs some work, but it's definitely a lot better now. Um, and, but I, I didn't really, no, I didn't really, um, experience a lot of that discrimination again, because I was the dance girl. A lot of people, I was booked often because like there were already a lot of comedy queens and already a lot of artsy queens. They needed that high energy kind of pop girl. I think it actually would have been harder for me to come up in a place where there's a lot of those girls already like New York or something like that. Yeah. Now you say pop girl, let's get into some of your favorite music. My music, you know, it's kind of all over the place. I was raised listening to Latin music in my house because my mom is Mexican. Um, a lot of really bad, like praise and worship music as well, because she's very religious, and you know, at that time was. Um, but I also was uh, raised listening to a lot of house music, um, which was ironic because you wouldn't think that in a Mexican Christian household that house music would make it in there. But my mom, <laughs> my mom pushed athletics on us so much growing up that she just wanted music that would make us move and get us going. And she used to teach uh, a biweekly cardio class that we were forced to do. <laughs> a cardio aerobics class that we were forced to do at age seven and eight and not like it was insane like i think back on my childhood and i was like what were we doing like what the fuck um forced you know, aerobics busy, could be a just... great chain thing especially in west hollywood <laughs> period forced aerobics. <laughs> uh, yeah it was crazy but you know that's where my uh first exposure to labouche and cc penniston and um uh, Crystal Waters and you know the the divas of my childhood were you know, so it was the 90s and my mom wanted active music and she wanted us to get moving so we listened to a lot of that and it wasn't until later in life that I realized how embedded it was into my childhood because um, you know we're in this era of nostalgia right now that we all love in our music whether it's disco or funk or whatnot that's going on yeah and uh, so I, I felt a yearn for house music so much in my twenties because it reminded me of my childhood and it reminded me of my mom going five, six, seven, eight, kick, punch, go, go, just like go, you know, <laughs> meanwhile, it's like, be my lover, be my lover, you know, <laughs> so, um, house, house and, and reggaeton and salsa, that's kind of like my foundation in music. And I find myself yearning for that a lot. Um, I didn't reconnect to my Latin music roots until I met my drag mother, Camilla Fox. She's a Mexican drag queen here from Chicago. She's perfect. And um, she helped me reconnect back to a lot of reggaeton because that's basically almost exclusively what she performs. Uh -huh. And it's nice because, you know, growing up with the intersectionality of being white and Mexican, I never felt connected to either. I always either too Mexican or too white. And I never, and I wasn't raised Hispanic. Like my mom didn't speak a lot of Spanish to us. She wanted us to be white. She wanted us to be raised white because she even herself, I think dealt with some, um, a little bit of identity issues and self-hatred towards her, her, um, culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, and now I'm just like sad about it. Cause I was like, damn, I wish we spoke Spanish a lot more. And I wish that like I was embraced because, uh, you know, I think that it's, it's beautiful and it's important. Um, 
So reconnecting with that later in life was really cool and being able to kind of like come back to Spanish music and, and all of that is great. But, you know, as a pop girly, I, I don't know. I like my music. It's all over the place. I like yeah. the disco influences. I like the new age influences. I love house. I will always love house and being in Chicago it's well, really important because this is the birthplace of house. It is. Um, yeah. I really yeah. want to take a trip so, to Chicago. I was talking to someone who wanted to say, uh, give you their fondest regards, Chrissy Chapeca. And, oh! <laughs> and you, know, you see her TikToks? She's great. Oh, she's, she's the best. best, right? Yeah. And she was <laughs> yeah. in town recently. We went to Gloss, uh, the new house Avalon night. Oh, and I'm that show soon. Oh, fantastic. I hope it's not in April because yeah. I'll be in London in April. I don't know exactly. Okay, so it's a mystery. Stay tuned, everybody, and we'll find out. Well, I look forward to seeing yeah. you there. Thank you. Yeah, and also checking out Chicago. You know, a lot of really cool art has come from the city, and I'm, like, really proud of it. Yeah, you know, and reconnecting, too, after Drag Race to the scene and coming back and, like, you know, <laughs> doing shrooms on the dance floor with my friends until four in the morning and just listening to Honey Dijon spin, like, all night. Like, things like that, like, it's just helped me be like, oh, like, oh, this feels good. Like, it's just culture. It's nice. Yeah, that is a lovely feeling um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No yeah. booger sugar, I promise. <laughs> you guys, don't worry. No, you're talking about shrooms, which not only are natural, but they're also this close to being legalized fully. So, yay, finally. <laughs> and it ain't San Antonio. So, gobble them up. And, Period. Yeah. And plus, you don't keep a lot on you. You don't keep like a big baggie of it on you. So, that's all right. No, just like a little, you know, chocolate bar. And, yeah, a little chocolate. <laughs> it's just a, a nice yeah. little sweet. Here, officer, have a chocolate. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. And it only kicks in during the booking process. Oh, my God. Back to an area I think we skipped over, and that would be my yeah. doing. Uh, when you started to develop a sense of being queer, around what age would that yeah. be? Um, I can I can recall. I mean, I can recall memories of being like four, five, and six, like watching movies and seeing a guy take his shirt off and like feeling something, but not knowing, understanding what it is. But um, it wasn't until I was thirteen, <laughs> and I did this stupid project in middle school about. I think it was about um, sexuality in the media or how it's like portrayed in the media. Honestly, was too young to be doing a project <laughs> like that. But I remember obviously having to do research on this. Oh, yes. The diligent researchers we are. Diligent research, you know. Um, Abercrombie torsos were all the rage at the time. <laughs> and I just remember being like, why do I feel this way doing all this research? And, <laughs> I um, guess I like photography a whole lot. I'm oh, boy. so into <laughs> photography right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I just remember getting into like Google image search holes and just like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And just like my heart would beat so fast. And I would just like, I would just be going crazy in my room in Fairbanks, Alaska, just not understanding what this feeling is, but finally understanding that like, I think I'm attracted to this. And it scared me at first. I was so young and so um, taught and indoctrinized to <clears throat> be not that and to hate that and to think that that was wrong and disgusting that I remember even one night I was researching that and I felt nauseous and I wanted to throw up. And I think I almost made myself throw up at like 13 because I remember how bad it was. And that night when I threw up, you know, it's that thing when you're like a kid and you're like, I threw up. And then your mom is like, Oh, like, are you okay? She like, she, her, her bedroom, my parents' bedroom was right by the bathroom. So they could hear. And my mom was like, are you all right? What's going on? I just remember crying to her being like, 
I don't know what's going on, but like I'm like looking at these images and like I'm feeling something and I like don't know what it is and I'm scared. And her response, my dad's response was, Oh, that's fine. Like we knew. <laughs> don't worry about it. Um and she like I remember she like cut him off and she was like, We're gonna pray and don't worry, we're gonna fix this. You're gonna be fine, but we're gonna pray and like you're gonna change. And I really believe that. I really actually believed that for wow. five years of my very, very, very important adolescent years from, 15, from 13 to 17. Um, and that, those were the most damaging years of my life, I would say. That's when I was really, um, that's when I was harming myself a bit. And that's when I was uh, really just confused about my identity. And it wasn't until I moved to Salt Lake City and was finally exposed to queer people and at 17 was like okay this is silly like (laughs) i think that i'm just uh i'm just a pile of sticks and i need to i need to like embrace this you know um uh, yeah so i think it was about 13 when i first was exposed and knew and it wasn't until 17 that i actually came out it sounds like you went pretty devoutly into the notion that you can pray it away oh yeah yeah unfortunately yeah i was a mama's boy and i just wanted to be obedient um and i even went to some conversion counseling for a little while uh which actually was my saving grace he was like you know he understood my mom wanted me to be in this therapy for conversion but then he treated it as our safe space and he also was not queer or anything but he was like i'm just trying to understand this a little bit more and i just want you to I want this to be just about us and not about changing or not about anything. Just tell me what you're feeling. And it was so good. I like forget this man's name to the state because I was like 15, but he was also very helpful. You had a lot of terror going on in general. So they can names, faces. Eh. Oh, girl. Yeah. The trauma. I was like, let's block it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that happened. And um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was a hard few years. Were yeah. there ever any crushes or even dates or anything like that? Or were you still kind of held back by that terror, which is a substantial terror? Yeah. No, I was held back and I was uh, dating girls. I was still dating girls and I was trying to make it work because I was like, they're so fun. Like, I love like my girlfriends. Like, we like get the kiki and it's like so fun. So I was mostly dating like girls that I would think would be my best friends. Right. Yeah. Um, and there was this one girl, she was uh, an ice skater and her name was Jihyun. She was Korean and she was my best friend at the time. And we had been dating and it was like, so it was just fun. Cause I was like, you're my bestie. We can like talk about music, K-pop. She, she introduced me to K-pop, which is now where the reason I also am a nerd for K-pop, which I forgot to mention in the music section. <laughs> Sometimes I'm embarrassed by it because I feel like only the mentally ill like K-pop, but well, you know, I only have the mentally ill on the show. Including me, including me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So uh, she was, she was really great. She was just the best friend of mine. And then when I came out to her, she was the first person I came out to. And she was like, ah, thank God. I've just been waiting. She was like, I knew as well. And I've just been waiting and I'm here for you, whatever you need. And we're still best friends to this day. She's married now. And um, she's just been really, a really good friend to me throughout my life. But um yeah, so thank God for her being there and whatnot. But I think when I was 17, I went on my first date with, you know, the first person that gave me any sort of attention. 
um, as a gay boy. Uh, it was this nasty 23 year old guy that chewed tobacco and worked at the corner bakery. Do you know what the corner bakery is? It's like a chain. No, uh, it sounds familiar, but I can't, uh, I'm just telling you everything. What is it about you? (laughs) That's right. Maybe it's the voice. But it's like very comforting. I'm sure you get this all the time. It's very soothing. And I never get tired of hearing it. Thank you very much. Ready. (laughs) Of course. I'm just ready to spill all, mama. Fantastic. Um, Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. There's your, by the way, there's your soundbite for the teaser. You know, Denali tells all. There's your soundbite. I'll start it with, I don't know what it is about you, because I got to get my thing in. (laughs) And then I'm just ready to spill it all. (laughs) (laughs) but so Um, mr uh, mr tobacco (laughs) yeah he's like i've never told this story before but he um he worked at the corner bakery which is like a sad chain in salt lake city (laughs) um where you can get like paninis and soup (laughs) and um it's like panera's little brother yeah oh yeah uh uh-huh 100 percent. he slid me his number and this is like days after i finally officially came out and it's like the gays, you know, we, we get this like signal, this sense, and it's like our spidey senses start tingling, which is, you know, our, our, our balls or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he just felt it and he slid me his number on a napkin and I thought it was the coolest, sexiest, most like, you know, adventurous little thing. Um, Cause I've never been uh, cruised before yeah, or whatever you want to call it. I was 17 and he was 23. To be honest, it was very, very inappropriate. Um, <laughs> Which also at those moments can be like hot. <laughs> like you're like hot. Yeah. Yeah. I like, was like, this is illegal. <laughs> like I was like, yes. I'm, I'm into this. No, it was looking back, I was like, what the fuck? That was really messed up. Um, but we went on a sexy hot date at the illustrious venue called Olive Garden. Ooh. Um, and you know, we we chatted and like I was just like, this guy is horrible but he, <laughs> he is interested in me and that is enough <laughs> you know yeah. so uh i remember inviting him over to my house and he was my first gay kiss it was disgusting he <laughs> tasted like tobacco and i was like 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 i was like this is bad this is not good uh so stopped that quickly thank god i had the ego to at least be like i think i'm better than this and then <laughs> Um, my first pride happened and that's when I really let loose and I got into like a, a, a triangle, a love triangle between my swimmer friend who went to high school with me and an ice skater that he was interested in. And girl, was it a fun way to just start my queer trauma. Um, a bunch of athletic, randy, yeah, queers. Yeah. A bunch of athletic, horny gays and three of us. And we were all messing around and it was like, fun but also very dramatic you know oh. <laughs> like all of us just like 18 not understanding anything being like i love him but i think i love him and i think i love you but why don't you love me like as much as you love him like just a fucking mess <laughs> um yeah and uh, i think about a lot of the trauma that i deal with nowadays and understand that a lot of it had to do with that yeah. that relationship like why couldn't it just be something easy and chill um but either way, trauma is like that, though, that's right? Because the trauma from your teen years then impacts that era, the early 20s or 18 through 25 or however you want to yeah. classify it. 
And yeah. it makes it harder to talk about certain things like, wait a second, I have these feelings for this person, especially in a thruple situation. Now, was totally. it was, was it a full thruple? Would there be three-way no. things? Or, oh, okay. All right. Oh, no. I'm embarrassed by this as well. Also, first time I'm ever saying this. We're really just going in. I'm publicizing my trauma. The lid's off and all the worms are pouring out of the can. They really are. All because of that voice. Oh, why, thank you. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, no, I was interested in one. His name was uh, not important. Okay, no problem. Uh, he was he was a swimmer, and I was obsessed with him. He was so cute, and he liked me, and it was great. But he had an ex that was an ice skater that I also trained with sometimes. And oh, okay. um, the ex, he was his first love. He was obsessed with. So in, in our entire relationship, he would talk about him all the time and be like, oh, I miss him. Da, 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 da. I'm like, hello, I'm right here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, it got to a point where I was so frustrated with it that I ended it with him. And then out of, out of spite, <laughs> I went and pursued the ice skater and um, the ice skater was into me as well. And it was cute. And it was fun and it was flirty and fiery, but it was really fucked up. And I, to this day have apologized multiple times to the swimmer because I was like, that was just really vindictive and rude and fucking awful. And I'm so sorry that I did that to you. <laughs> um, and you know, we were kids. So like, yeah. you know, in our twenties, uh, we, we all got back in contact with each other and we were like, Hey, sorry for all that. That was a mess. They did. They never got back together. We are not together. None of us, none of us are together, but it just was such a formative, crazy dramatic time and uh but it was like you know there was passion behind it and there was just like a lot of feeling and i remember being like devastated by it all but also like oh my god i feel things like i feel yeah. love and i feel excitement and i feel all this stuff so it was actually really important too <laughs> you know it, it is important and sometimes those early experiences though they might be drama filled it's almost it's so exciting that they're drama filled because of that and it's hard yeah. it's hard to be like well maybe i'm not doing the healthiest thing or maybe i'm not doing the wisest thing for me or them but th there's such an abundance of feeling when there was the absence or the terror of mm -hmm. yeah it's like it's like a when you go through those learning processes they're not always like they're messy and uh you know i'm, I'm finding that pattern even now in my 30s like uh I, I, I find myself now in this place of dismantling a lot of indoctrinized things that I had grown up learning and, and this idea of marriage, like even like so much, I'm trying to really break down and, and study and read books and talk to people and um, analyze my friends, everything. So um, sometimes in those processes, you know, they, they can be really, really messy as well. And I'm trying to just remember that it's good. A lot of these things we take for, uh, not for granted, but uh, as evidence already in the tank or something can not be the way things are. Also, if you look at, say, uh, you mentioned like marriage or something like that, a lot of times we base our either fears or our assumptions on certain family dynamics we've either lived through or witnessed up close. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if we were to enter into those situations that we would have to follow the the footsteps of those no, yeah. that we witnessed. Yeah. Like I just, I didn't even think about it. I was just like, Oh, that's what I saw. And now I'm going to do the same is like, okay, that's what I was exposed to. And you know, yeah. but 
if there's anything that as queer people we're able to do is challenge everything because nothing gets to be, nothing has to be tradition. Nothing has to be anything for us. We can, we can do whatever we want. And there's such freedom in that. So that's the whole idea of uh, queer expression and sexual exploration. So um, yeah. And and then that's just where I am right now in my life. And it feels really good to do that. It's difficult. I'm not going to lie. Like, especially after 30 years of practicing one way or one thing yeah um but like at the end of the day thank god that i have a partner and that that i'm in a relationship where we are able to communicate everything yes you know i think about my parents and how how many years there nothing like so much communication was not had and and because of that so much was done behind every behind closed doors or was um just like non not it there was no team effort in it it was like two individuals functioning around each other so um i'm really blessed to have somebody in my life that uh works as a team with me and it feels really i just feel really lucky really it is about being a team right yeah us against the world what is your partner's name if you don't mind sharing yeah his, his name is alex um he is just the sweetest boy he uh works in corporate and, you know, I used to try and date artists and skaters and uh, dancers and things. And it just never worked because we were artists and we were always kind of self-driven and really like self-focused and things like that. And he is um, he's the most selfless, uh, caretaking individual I've ever met in my life. Um, uh, I, I just it just works so well. And I never thought that I would date somebody that I still to this day can't fully describe his work to you. Like I can say the words and you'll just be like, okay. Um, (laughs) 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 He's a cost accountant for a decision technology company. There you Uh, go. That is one hell of a corporate uh, handle. (laughs) I love that. I love corporate speak too. No, yeah. And he's clearly uh, a very accomplished at that as well as being a lovely partner because that's a very high up thing, I think, based on my comprehension. Yes. He's uh, one of the youngest in his work and he's a team leader and he uh, is great at what he does. Do I know what it is still? Like, no. Like, <laughs> that, he, all right. like in, in quarantine, I'm able to like witness it with my eyes because he worked at home and I still cannot describe to you what it is. <laughs> and that's fine. I think like me having an understanding of his work has no like it doesn't make any sort of difference towards like our relationship or who, or who we are what we do or anything like that but you know he has seen me through the most important transformative transformative years of my life from leaving Cirque du Soleil when we started our relationship to starting drag to beginning Denali to getting onto RuPaul's Drag Race and being thrust into D-list queer fame like it's you know, it's like, um, I'm not with him for those reasons, but I understand that the universe presented me this precious and most important person at the most important and imperative, uh, transitions in my life for a reason. And I'm, I mean, I can't even begin to describe how grateful I am that he has been there through those moments. Cause I, I don't think that I would have been able to do them without him. And um, yeah, he's just, he's just, he is my life. He is 
such a huge part of my life and I'm so grateful for him. Well, that's lovely. <laughs> and uh, w- how long or around uh, how long had you been dating when the Cirque du Soleil situation oh my God. came about? Minutes. We had, we had uh, hooked up at Berlin nightclub one night, like the first night we met. And I was like, nice to meet you. That was fun. Thanks. <laughs> um, and both of us though, you know, we were like, that was really cool. And that was nice. And it was interesting. It was different. It was like, there was something special about the hookup and we kind of like kept in touch and kept talking and seeing each other or went on dates and things like that. But I was like, I don't want anything serious right now. Cause I'm literally about to leave for a two year contract to go work with the circus. Um, and I loved this, but let's just, you know, let's just table it. And maybe in two years, let's see what happens. Who knows? But he was like, I don't know. I like, let's try. Why don't we try like distance? So we were like, we're going to try long distance after like months yeah. of knowing each other. I was yeah. like, uh, I guess, <laughs> but you know, both of us felt kind of confident in it. We were like, sure. Why not? Like, um, he gets mad because I always paint the picture that I'm the one that was like, no, no, no. And he like pursued it more, but it was, it was very mutual. Like I really did like him. Um, was it more that you were like, I would love to do this, but there's this complication. Yeah. So, I mean, can we really yeah, get our heads exactly. around that? That kind of thing. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Um, but we both realized it was something special. His roommates were like, dude, this guy's a figure skater. He's like super fierce. Like don't fuck this one up. <laughs> Did you say super flexible? So Is that cute. what you said? <laughs> no, super fierce. No. <laughs> both are true. Yeah, he's so. really flexible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, you know, and again, how interesting the universe is in ending the Cirque du Soleil moment for me in order to be able to continue with Alex because high key, low key, all keys. Like, I do not think it would have been, um, it would have been practical to maintain a long distance relationship for two years uh, like that. You know, it would have been really, really hard if not like impossible. So, you know, I was with the show for four months instead. And when I was fired, he was there for me on the phone. He was right there. The one, the first person I called. And when I left and went back, home because i didn't have a home right um he offered his bedroom for me and i was able to sit there and be depressed and play video games for like a good month to just like not think about anything and he just took such good care of me and um it was like you know it was such a sign it was an immediate sign that i was like this person is so good this person is so good for you and so right like all of the circumstances just like prove that this is not just a short term thing, that this is going to be um, a lifelong relationship. And um, so, you know, like everything really happened for the right reason. And five years later, here we are still thriving with our little maple dog in our <laughs> apartment here. And um, it's just really cool. What a fantastic indicator of the universe doing those sort of things because you have this uh, relationship a nascent relationship that then is put to the stress test fairly quickly and sailed through with fi- flying colors yeah yeah i've again followed that pattern in my life and um i'm not a spiritual person or i'm not a religious person by any means like i have a very unhealthy relationship with religion because of my childhood but um I have learned to develop my own personal relationship with the universe and listening to the signs of change and what is meant to happen and what's supposed to just, just listening, you know, yeah. and just being like, 
open eared and like really being practical about things. Uh, so uh, yeah, yeah. Just listening to those patterns and realizing that they are meant for a reason that they're meant for change and they're meant for, um, entering the next venue of your life. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm just really, I'm just really grateful for that understanding as well. Yeah. And I have to mention I think a lot of, I'll oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was, I was going to say, I think a lot of queer people because of their, uh, traumas that they might experience with religion, they tend to shun away completely from any sort of connection with their spiritual being. Mm. And I'm really not a hippie. I'm not like one of these people that's like super into the spiritual world or whatnot. Um, nor do I even believe in astrology or anything like that. But, <laughs> um, I do in my own personal journey with it, find a connection to um, noticing those patterns. And, and you know, I even went through my journey of like, sh- like shunning any sort of connection to the spiritual world. It's like, yeah. it doesn't exist. None of it. Like it's all fake, but everybody has their own uh, personal connection to it. And I think it's important to just um, be open to that idea. <clears throat> I agree with you, and I feel similarly. I don't have any fondness yeah. for organized religion. Uh, happy for anyone that does. Cults, and finds... just say cults. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not big into the cults. Uh, what, not big into cults. What, what stripe or flavor of cult were you growing up in? <laughs> My flavor of cult was non-denominational Christianity. You know, a little sprinkle of... Um, a little sprinkle of... Uh, uh, Say, uh, like, what is it when people like get possessed and they start like vibrating on the floor? The talking in tongues thing. Is, yeah, a little is, sprinkle of tongues, yeah. a little sprinkle of magic, Harry Potter. Is that Baptist? I always think it's Baptist uh, for some reason, and I could be wrong. Girl, I don't know. It's all over the place. But either way, my mom was pretty orthodox with her non-denominational Christianity, and I was exposed to a lot of scary shit like as a kid, like, you know, like people, people having seizures on the ground and, and needing blankets laid on, onto them as if they were dying. And, um, uh, like, yeah, just speaking in tongues and things that I was just like, what is all of this? It's like so scary. And I remember my mom, she saw my, uh, a YouTube video of mine recently with Rose and I was getting a little vulgar and I was, you know, talking like this, like talking like a queer person would, and she was like, I, I love watching your stuff, but I hate it when you get so vulgar. It's just like, I just really don't like it. It's hard for me to watch. And I'm like, hey, mom, remember when we were, <laughs> you know, I was like, remember yeah. when you would like bring us to church and we were like four years old and people would be like throwing themselves at like the, the cross and like shaking violently and foaming <laughs> at the mouth. That was kind of vulgar for me too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and she would just be like quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't want to uh, throw it in her face, but when you have to mention it, you have to refer to it, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And did you get a lot of the, those, I remember seeing a lot of videos about Satanism and how this is like terrible. And I was at a fairly middle of the road, kind of church or ccd and all that stuff but i remember as a kid actually feeling nauseous watching this stuff about devil worship and i remember asking my mom later i was like why are they showing us this stuff like why is it this that they're showing religion's scary yeah it's like fucking scary and yeah i remember being like like they'd be like look at this beautiful portrait of jesus and it's like emaciated ribs out (laughs) bleeding from the wrists just like you know, no light in his eyes with a, like a crown of thorns and just blood 
pouring from his cranium and i'm like yeah it's gorgeous like <laughs> i was like i'm so scared like like religious images are scary and the fear of god and that whole idea is so much for a child to start to understand like oof, i don't know man <laughs> No, it is a lot. It's also interesting that you really embraced and found your queerness in a land that is so Mormon. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Ain't it funny? Oh my God. Yeah. I was sucking dick in the parking lot across the street from the <laughs> Mormon temple. Like I was having a good time. Like it was just funny, but I think there's so much pent up queerness and pent up, um, uh, sexual like tension within the Mormon community and within any religious community, really, because yeah. you're not like, I'm pretty sure Utah is number two for pornography, like in all of the United States, just because it's like, you know, you can't do it. So you got to find a release somehow. I'm pretty sure number one's Alaska. Hello. Oh, well, okay. Mm -hmm. There, well, you did your work. So, uh, you know, like that. Uh, bands on tour, I think in the eighties made mention of the fact that the craziest groupies were in Utah. I'm telling you, it's like, it's like I knew so many DL daddies that were Mormon husbands and um, so many people that were within the church that like just needed to break free and like just it would it would it's just like it would just be like so pent up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's like another another reason and example to me of like maybe I should embrace this so I don't become somebody like this. Yeah. That makes sense because yeah. also there is so, so much funny. of that, which again, we talked about communication and how essential that is in a, in a partnership, but mm -hmm. the sort of absence of clarity uh, and transparency in people's lives in general like that gives me the willies like nothing else because you think, oh what's the point? Like, who is it for? Is every day a homework assignment for someone else? What's the point yeah. of that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just was like, at what point too, if you withhold all of these very natural feelings at what point are you just going to snap like when is it going to be too much what are you going to do exactly yeah because that that's you what know? fuels most of the angry things that you see people who say that they're faith-based etc uh in that's what is powering their initiatives there's this anger there and, and like targeting groups and saying they're bad this is bad and there's a lot of frowns and just misery yeah whereas really just embracing the, the your things you're interested in passions whatever and shedding the shackles of uh, what you're supposed to do is yeah. the way to enjoy your life. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. I think it's so important. And you mentioned your YouTube channel, and I, I want to mention it again because I quite enjoy, especially the hot sauce video with Rose. Oh, you watched it? Oh, yeah. Thank you. It was fun. It was fun to do. I'd wanted to do that for a while, and I was like, oh, let's like, let's just like get over it. It was really fun. She's she's always a good time. I love her and she's still one of my closest friends from the show but yeah i love doing little collabs like that i'm also gonna come out with some more ice skating videos i'm getting back on the ice um soon so um for anybody listening just check it that out and wait for it um i miss the ice so much and i find myself after this crazy year of drag race constantly coming back to my roots of things whether it's like my club or my group of friends or my boyfriend or my my skating so I promise I'm going to get back to that. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been fun. Do you have a home rink as well as a home bar? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, um, I try and have one in every city that I, you know, um, 
that I've lived in for a while. There was one in Alaska, there's one in Salt Lake City, and there's one here. Um, and it's the Robert Crown Ice Center in Evanston. It is super rich and super white, and everybody there is just, like, so perfect. I'm like, yes, they're so friendly, and I love it. Um, it's like my little toe dip into just, like, gorgeous little privilege. It's like the first... Um, suburb right out right outside of chicago okay and yeah. it's it's just like so it's it's not very diverse but everybody's so liberal there's like six kids there that are like out and proud and they're all like 11 and i'm like work <laughs> like um <laughs> yeah it's amazing oh sorry i'm getting oh, a call let me send oh, that's okay do you need to take okay. the call or are you okay okay no not at all it's my manager he'll text me don't worry <laughs> <laughs> tell him i said hi um okay we'll do <laughs> um but yeah, like, uh, yeah, that's my home rink and I love them. Any video that you've seen on my YouTube channel or anywhere uh, was filmed there and they're so good to me. Now, I never thought about this before, but do you have a favorite kind of skate? You must, right? There must be a certain make or model. Oh, yeah. Like brand of ice skate? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I use the um, Adia brand. It is like an Italian brand that uses microfiber. Oh, wow. So it's a lot more... Um, it has a good balance between being like stiff and flexible, um, which is what you need. You need support when you're skating, but also mobility. Um, and then I use a blade called Gold Seals. They are uh, John Wilson blades. He's a UK blade manufacturer and his are just the best quality of steel. They're the strongest. And um, I've never really had issues with it. Yeah, for me, that's somebody that's like an acrobat. On the ice, I like a flexible boot with a strong blade. I've seen people like break blades before and it's very scary. I can imagine. Uh, the, yeah. I never actually even under realized before that the skate shoe, if you will, comes separately from the blade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got a boot and a blade and everyone has their perfect little combination. Some people love a, a, a thinner, lighter blade, like if you're doing like ice dance or a really heavy, strong boot if you're doing like pairs and you need to like lift a girl above your head mm -hmm. and you just need something solid underneath you. So everybody's different per discipline. Yeah. Does the weight of the blade affect uh, torque or whatever you oh, say yeah. in terms of the movement? Yeah, how we twerk, Donnie. <laughs> um, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, there's different disciplines of skating, of course. There's ice dance, which is more like ballroom dancing on the ice. There's pairs, which is like acrobatic adagio moments um, mm -hmm. on the ice. And then there's women's singles and men's singles, which is very self-explanatory. Uh, and Th That's the dating uh, skating, right? The singles. Yeah, that's where we, <laughs> you know, that's where we do our, um, what is it, you know, when you like, sit down for 10 seconds oh yeah speed hour. dating speed, speed dating, dating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 no there's a lot of that happening within skating trust me um uh yeah no so just per discipline you just want something different per what you're trying to do and, and and your body type and who you are and how you like to move and how you're trying to move so yeah it all makes a big difference and the acrobatic aspect of it when did you start to fold that into it or was that there from the beginning I was there from the beginning. I was actually more of a gymnastics fan than I was figure skating, mm -hmm. but I was better at figure skating. So um, I would uh, I would do balance beam routines in my living room. Um, I would pretend to be Dominique Mochianu and I would be like, mom, look at me do this like double pirouette or whatever. And she'd be like, uh-huh, while well, she was like stirring macaroni. <laughs> um, and I love gymnastics and I just wanted to incorporate that into my skating because 
as a professional skater, um, as a boy, I'm already very bookable. Like there's not a lot of boys in skating, so they need men in their Mm -hmm. professional shows a lot more than girls. And then what else was going to make me exclusive was having something like a special trick. A backflip is a very precious trick to have in the professional world. You know, there's like very, there's like a handful of us in the whole world that could do one. Um, and so I learned that with my, my coaches, we tied like ropes around me and I would like skate with one person on each side of the, the ropes, just as like a faux harness looking back was very dangerous. <laughs> and then I just like did some timers and I felt it and I was like, okay, I think I feel my body in the air now and I get it. So, you know, uh, let me try it. And I just like went for it. It's one of those skills that's like all or nothing. You can't bail in the middle of where you probably die. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was, uh, I was really grateful to learn that cause it got me a lot of jobs, a lot of work. When I've watched people do incredible acrobatic feats on the ice or yeah. uh, similar things like in the Olympics and other challenges and you think, yeah. okay, so what was the first time? Like when you attempted the thing, you know, cause you yeah. just think like, okay, you could do a somersault and screw up. No big deal. But something like that, yeah. higher stakes. Yeah, that's like really interesting you ask that. People don't really know what the developmental process of a skill is like with figure skating. You do things 45,000 times off the ice. You know, you you do it in your your sneakers or your tennis shoes on like some mats or things like that. Um, You do Pilates and yoga and all this cross training and, and, um, uh, you know, uh, low impact aerobics and things and things to just like get you all sort of ready for this like three minute performance that's on the ice. Like it's a lot. Um, but in terms of the skills, we have what are called harnesses, which are these, um, uh, they're like, they're just ropes and wheels that are like tied to the ceiling. And then, and then, you know, you'll have like a, either a belt or a vest that connects to you. And then you have someone pull the harness and you'll be lifted into the air. So you can do that. You can start to skate, you can gain speed, and then you can try it. So you get the muscle memory without the uh, risk factor without like, because you can, if you fall, you know, they just pull the harness and you'll be like, ooh, suspended in the air. Um, So there's those. Um, And then really, it's just about being brave. The, The best figure skaters in the world are the ones that have no sense of hurting themselves in any way. They just chuck themselves into the air and they're like, hope for the best. And so you, you'll <laughs> take the worst falls and you learn how to fall. You know, you learn to fall on your bum and to, you know, to like really like absorb it. But sometimes the doesn't always happen and you get cut off in the air. I've like, you know, I've, I slipped a rib out before I've torn my uh, like three ligaments in my ankle one time, like skating is brutal. What people don't realize is, Obviously, ice is hard, just hard, you know, it's yeah. hard as it is. And then right underneath the ice of an ice rink, it's usually just concrete. So, um, <laughs> no, you're, absorbency. Really just, yeah. you're, you're, you're no absorbency. You're just going at a skill, uh, like, uh, 15 to 20 miles an hour sometimes. And then you just, bam, like they say that you jump and you rotate with eight times your body weight or something like that. When you're figure skating, someone did like the, someone did like physics one time or whatever. Physics or something, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And yeah, it's like really fucking hard. It's really dangerous. And that's a lot of impact on the joints as well. Oh my God. The amount of skaters I know with hip replacements and double knee replacements and things like that is just like 
why are we doing this? <laughs> now, what's your fitness regimen when you're not skating? Do you have a regular routine? Yeah, now it's a little gayer. Like it's more like <laughs> thank God. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's more like lifting weights in the gym. <laughs> like I, I, my body has always just been like a, a motor instrument for like wherever I am in my life. And it's created a gorgeous amount of body dysmorphia. Let's get into that now. <laughs> yes, honey. let's celebrate. Yes. Uh, <laughs> when I was a teenager, it was all about having strong legs and slim everything else in order to skate. Because mm -hmm. skating is all about the the power of your of your carriage and like what you know what plyometrically like how you can just get in the air. Um, and then so everything else has to be slim, so you can just be small and rotational. But you need strong legs to initiate that mm -hmm. so that was like from zero to age 20 then uh i was exposed to queer beautiful men and i was like oh my god i have to be one of these muscle daddies and these guys that are on the <laughs> ships because like the only way i'm going to be attractive to people is if i have a six pack and like big bulging muscles and so i started to work out in the gym a little bit more and i used to lift but that would affect my skating so it was a little bit of you know like a little bit of uh, difficulty with that. Then I started doing drag and then drag was like, Hey girl, no muscles, nothing at all. You're going to look like an ugly, masculine, nasty man. And you can't wear spaghetti straps and that sucks. And you want to be Aquaria and you want to be Naomi Smalls and you just, you know, fashion girls are in right now. So if you're not emaciated, you're not doing drag. And I was just like, well, great. So now I'm in this place of, trying to do like trying to just treat my body with respect and trying to just love everything that it is you know that has now and regardless of the drag or the ice skating or whatever it is it's just in its purest form and I'm going to do whatever I like just because it feels good I'm really enjoying going to the gym right now I lift a little bit I like having a little bit of tone in my upper body uh you know which I was never allowed to when I was younger sure. and I love celebrating my strong legs. I love, I, I, I love strong women. I, I think gymnast bodies are beautiful and Serena Williams body is beautiful. My mom was like, just, she was like a buff lady and she had gorgeously toned arms. And, you know, nowadays it's like, you're not allowed to have that. If you're on a red carpet or something like that, you're not allowed to you know, have your shoulders out or like look masculine in any ways. So I'm, I'm, glad to like celebrate that as well because there are women that look like that and i'm not saying that i'm cameron michaels or anything like that like i'm definitely not like but i i tend to lean more into the like athletic look but i'm celebrating that like i i just did a, a shoot with willow pill which i was so scared about it was her idea she was like can you be my hot guy and here's your wardrobe and it's just like a literal thong and i was like okay. um, you're like i was taking a tuxedo but now there's just a thong yeah okay. <laughs> i know i was really scared but i was like you know what i'm going to use this as an excuse to celebrate what i have and to like love on my my ass and my legs and things like that and you know the internet was very kind and was very sweet to me that day almost too sweet they broke my comments and um <laughs> It was, but it was a fun shoot to do. And I think that, you know, I have a lot of younger fans that at first I was like, is this appropriate? Um, but at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? I am showing people that we can celebrate our bodies and that's totally fine. 
And also you talking about your body dysmorphia is so helpful to so many people because there's so many people who would look at you and think, uh, think of you as one of the people you thought of when you started developing your body dysmorphia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And I, I, like so I say this to my friends sometimes about how I feel about my body and they're like, shut the fuck up, you know, cause they're, <laughs> they're like, you're, you know, and I, I have to be like, you're right. I'm sorry. That's like not very sensitive. Um, but we all deal with body dysmorphia in our own ways. I'm sure that even uh, Cameron Michaels, who has like the most perfect body that's ever existed in the world still, you know, struggles with things like that. Or uh, like these celebrities that we look at that are like, oh, would you have to, they're so perfect that they, they deal with the same thing. So it's all relative and it's all valid in our own experiences. And I think that it's important to recognize all of it. It is. And also uh, body dysmorphia is a sneaky mistress. It can oh, sneak up on you bitch. and distort something. Maybe it didn't distort before. And then suddenly you're mm-hmm. seeing things through a very weird uh, window. Uh, sometimes yeah. if I uh, catch it rearing its uh, uh, its dainty head uh, again, I, I go, oh yeah, I'm not seeing anything correctly today. If I can catch it, I don't always. Mm, you know, but. That's really smart. Like like today there is something off or there's something that I'm realizing. Because like, yeah, there are days where I'm like, I look fierce and I look great and I'm like, we're bitch. And then there's days where I'm like, oh, it works. one time my boyfriend, I, I had my headphones in and I didn't realize I left the bathroom door open. Oh my God, idiot. And I did the whole like, I'm jiggling in the mirror thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I was like, what jiggles? And he passes by and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh God. <laughs> Upper thigh exercise. Like, oh, no. it's a, it's a, I saw I it like, on YouTube. I'm, yeah. I'm bouncing my titties. Like I was just like <laughs> embarrassed because he was like, you know, he loves on me constantly and tries to always like, he tries to always uh, fight my own body dysmorphia with me. And that was just a sign to him that I was like not having one of those days where I was winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, definitely yeah. But yeah, I think, mean, you know, it's just, we're all human and whatever, but yeah, you're right. Sometimes, and sometimes it's just like where that day you can recognize, okay, so I'm not, I'm not having a good, a good one and it's okay. Yeah, like, it know. is okay. It is okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, oh, the filter's broken. The funhouse mirror one is in place and don't look at the photos I yeah. just took because I, I, I don't look at them now and then I'll just wait till the no. next day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. like what was fun about the the shoot with Willow because it was like I know my poses, I know my angles. I'm going to orchestrate myself so I look good. And there were a lot of selects. It was really hard because then I got all of the selects, um, and it was like, ooh, ooh, let's not, ooh, no way, no. <laughs> um, it was a little tough for me at first, but then I was like, you know what? I look hot in all of these. Let's just go for these ones. And yeah, <laughs> one funny thing I I've noticed is that if I find a picture of myself from like five years ago 10 years ago or whatever oh, yeah now i've had different periods of uh not being happy with my body and whatever over yeah. through depression and, and things like that but uh outside of those if i look back i'm like oh and you think oh look how thin or look how whatever you are and then you go wait a sec if so remember you could take a photo like that today and then look at it in five years and feel the same way so try mm-hmm. to apply that now not that it's easy but right. uh, in those moments no, yeah yeah yeah. Did did you ever yeah. dip a toe into any kind of uh, eating issues? Um. Yeah, like with skating, I was exposed to it constantly. It was more just the norm. It was actually just so normalized to have an eating disorder 
um, and to stay as slim as possible. Well, it's like drugs on tour. It's just like sort of what's going Very on. That. Yeah. It's just like so normalized that like that's actually just already in your practice. And it's not till you talk to other people that are like, wait, you were eating how much today? Like, <laughs> like that's like, that's insane. Yeah. Um, I never really had an unhealthy relationship with food. I think um, even when I was training, I still ate a lot. And I was like one of those like growing boys. So like I was like just shoving the protein down. Um, but I find it, it it's uh, the, the hardest right now. Like now is where I'm finding I'm having a difficult relationship with food. I smoke a lot of marijuana <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to dismantle and destroy my habits in snacking at night, you know, <clears throat> sure. and sometimes that can turn into during the day. And then like, sometimes it can like, it can rear its ugly head. Like when I was on tour, it was really hard to get nutrients anywhere. It was really hard to just like, it was just so go, go, go that like, I was like, you know, Taco Bell at 3am and then whatever's at the airport in the morning. And like, you know, it was hard. Um, but I wouldn't ever say that I struggled with an eating disorder, not the way that I know. Um, people have or people do before sure um so i think i i just i just um struggle with unhealthy eating habits that rear its head here and there but for the most part because i was raised to eat really healthy i'm always keeping a a good balance and good relationship with my feed yeah <clears throat> I, I can relate to the uh the bad habits with stuff like sweets particularly chocolate or cookies uh sometimes you just realize oh i just ordered a lot of that and now I just started the day two days in a row with a cookie or a piece of cake or something like that. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's yeah. pull back. Let's pull back more salmon, more salmon. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh man. Girl Scout cookie season. Those oh. bitches. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They think it's like cute and fun to sell their cute little, good little cookies that are like 600 <laughs> calories of a cookie. And you're just like, it's fine. I'm fine. Like they literally put like black tar heroin in there. They have something. to, they have like, to. Something is happening. You cannot create a cookie that addictive. I'm literally like, we need a cease and desist or something. Yeah, but like, I also never want to stop. <laughs> well, it's like mini eggs. It's mini egg season or it's just about to be. Yeah. And like, oh yeah. God, look at one time years ago, uh, the CVS had a whole bunch of like half or 75% off bags of a, the day after Easter. And I thought, you know what? I love these. So I'm going to get like six bags, put some in the yeah. freezer, hide one in the cupboard. And then, you know, throughout the year, I'll have one or two that... They were all gone within about 10 days. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it started gone. to feel like some Instantly. kind of weird druggy rush. You're just like, I'm in this weird haze and the nausea for it even. Yeah. Yeah. There's crack. They're crack, cracked out. <laughs> That's what them. they dip them in. That's that wonderful candy shell coating. I knew it. <laughs> like, fuck the booger sugar. That's what I really need to like chill out on is yeah. the crack cookies. What are some of your favorite meals to make if you make food? Ooh. Uh, I love Korean food. Um, I spent some time in Korea for a year and a half and it was a very lonely time. And the only time where I would feel really happy is when I was eating. <clears throat> um, Korean food is all about community and gathering people together. And like, you know, everything has to do with like every meal has to do with a certain holiday or like the weather or like it's connection to everything else. Like food is so important there. So it's like, if it's cold outside, you'll go in have tteokbokki or like something that's like really spicy and warm and just brings everybody together and like um so uh i love to make korean food because it reminds me of that time and it makes me just feel happy and warm and it's also so delicious so that's what i would say i do often yeah 
When you spent the year and a half in Korea, what brought you there? I mean, I'm assuming it's something to do with skating. Actually, it was um, language. Uh, my friends that I had, you know, my, my, my girlfriend at the time, um, she and I, you know, we still stayed close friends. And she exposed me so much to Korean culture that I was just obsessed with it. And uh, obsessed with the food, the music, the people, the language especially. And I really, I love language. And I really wanted to challenge myself to learn something that wasn't Latin-based um, a Latin-based language. So I chose Korean. I minored it in college and then I went over there to do an intensive language study because with a language that's as backwards as an Asian language in comparison to English, um, there's no real way to learn, learn it unless you're um, like assimilated into the culture, unless you're like there. So I went and I did this language study. And to this day, because of those few years or months that I spent in Asia or in Korea, I still can kind of click on the button and I can still speak it sometimes. It's definitely completely broken and out of practice, but they really drilled it into me there. I was working like eight, nine hours a day, just doing intensive language study. And otherwise I was eating and partying and <laughs> um, meeting people. And it was really fun. It was a good time. <clears throat> well, it's very clear that another phase in my life, you know, you've had many phase. phases though. And the other thing that's very yeah. clear from all that in each phase, you're very determined to make the most of and uh, achieve as much as you can in each phase. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're all going to die. So <laughs> why don't we, why don't we make the most of this time that we have? It's not actually as long as everyone thinks, I think. And, um, there's just so much to be done and to learn and to accomplish. So yeah, I guess that's my theory behind it. Yeah. So why not put your whole heart and soul into whatever it is? Why not put your whole into it? Yes. That's what I meant to say. Thank you for yeah. the line reading of the correction on that. Why not put your whole in it? Put your whole whole in it. <laughs> put your whole whole in it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking Ooh, of my fans are going to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> to close out, I want to do the intro that I saved till the end. Because as I do for okay. very special guests. And sure. here we are. Dear listeners, get on the ice and mind your Zamboni because it's time to swing from the chandelier with my guest, a winter wildflower figure. Pardon me. A winter wildflower figure skating phenomenon with two gold medals, apparently, to her name so far, a black belt in martial arts and in being sickening. Yes, that's right. She's icy, she's spicy, and she's a little bit dicey. So clap your skates together and help me give a proper Craig and Friends welcome to the one, the only, the Denali. That was incredible. <laughs> Why, thank you. Why, thank you. You can take that, use it for whatever you want, if it's uh, entering or exiting a bar. Now, um, one last <laughs> thing, uh, the martial arts. Yeah. When did mm -hmm. you start studying it, and uh, how rapidly did you get to be a black belt? Based on your prior uh, <laughs> stories, I'm guessing it was about three months, and then you were teaching the class. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's a few years. It's like six or seven years. I grew up in it, you know, besides skating. Martial arts was our first introduction into athletics as a family. My entire family did it, except for my dad, my sister, my brother, and my mother. Um, and that's where like her aerobics classes came from and things like that. She, you know, my brother started it. He wanted to be like a ninja growing up. And so he was the one that started it. And my mom, I think, just saw it as a cool family activity we could all do. So she put us all in it, but I hated it. I hated anything <laughs> that had to do with like, masculine contact and like you know fighting and just like brute force like no i hated it 
Um, the only part of martial arts I liked was this thing called patterns or form, which is like, it's basically like a, a mini dance where sure. you just do these like martial arts movements, these punches and kicks that are kind of like gorgeous. And like, um, so I was like, yes, I love that part. Um, but everything else I hated. Uh, but I'm grateful for it because it definitely uh, helped me be really flexible. That's where I started to be flexible and just focus on my body and, and sports in general. Um, but once I discovered skating is when I was like, bye, never doing that again because skating was way more fun. Yeah. And um, I, yeah. I know I keep saying one more thing, but I've just remembered this. Okay. Uh, in terms of depiction of ice skating and the, the craft, yeah. the studying and everything, are there any films that you think are good? And are there any particular that you're like, that is terrible. What a disgrace to the profession. Oh my God. That is a great question. Cause most of all of them are like a disgrace to the profession. Like <laughs> I would only say, um, I'd only say this because it is like hilarious, but, uh, blades of glory does a really good job at, <laughs> at depicting how ridiculous figure skating can be and like how camp it is and how just like, stupid like the whole sport is in general like it's just dumb um but all of the others don't really do it justice and they take it too seriously and then i just have to laugh i think that's why i like blades of glory because it doesn't take itself too seriously at all yeah um yeah that's what i'd say blades of glory <laughs> where does the cutting edge fall on the spectrum oh my god the cutting edge is the one where she like gets with the hockey player right and they I like so. do yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm not very versed in a lot of ice skating films, but I think it falls in the middle. Mm -hmm. I think it's a cute storyline, but it's very unrealistic. And to be honest, like, I don't know. I just like think it's a cliche and corny story. I'll have to see if I have a copy of American Anthem to send you. It's a gymnastics film starring Mitch Gaylord Ooh. from 1986-87, directed by the guy oh, who directed Mitch. Purple Rain. It, and Janet yeah. Jones is in it as well okay so, quite interesting way uh she's married to wayne gretzky and okay uh, of course a fine actress in her own right but uh it's a bit of a mess but there's some great montage sequences there's also for gymnastics a, a really fun hilarious john stamos thing in this movie called um never too young to die where he's doing trampoline stuff he's doing all the the oh bars yeah yeah Stick It is the, by far the best gymnastics movie that's ever existed. It's not only, I've heard this from other gymnasts, like a really good depiction of gymnastics, but I think it's more like a modern day and fun, like film that like kind of just has fun with gymnastics. They used actual body Olympic doubles that like do actual gymnastics. It's incredible. Um, but I, I can't leave this statement without mentioning I, Tanya for figure skating. Oh yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazingly done film. So, so, so accurate to her life so accurate to figure skating there's like cgi triple axles it's amazing so uh like i actually completely erase what i said about um uh blades of glory and replace that with i tanya it's amazing that's a, that'd be a good double feature as well <laughs> yes exactly do you exactly. have any do you have any other favorite movies um or pivotal movies yes. yeah uh, yeah, my, my favorite movie is Pan's Labyrinth. I say this all the time. I mm. love Guillermo del Toro and I love fantasy um, mixed in with like drama and beautiful cotillion Spanish. Like it's just, there's so much beauty in it and it's also kind of freaky. I like things, I like my film to be beautiful and a little freaky. Um, and I think that that one does it so perfectly. It's so gorgeous. Um, 
I would say surprisingly the exorcist, the original exorcist, oh, I yeah. really love. I did like a study on it and like, it's just fascinating about how they filmed it and all of the weird superstitious stuff that's around it. It's like so fascinating to me. Um, it's so cool you did a study on it. I love that film and especially the director. I'm a big fan of his stuff. And yeah. the stories about the making of the movie are wild. And like they spent how they spent like a long time in Iran or yeah. Iraq, right? Like, Was it people died? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Freaky stuff. Literally people died. I was like, what the like it was a cursed film. It's so weird. Wasn't there something um, on the set, the big refrigerated set that they used for the apartment because they needed yeah. to see the breath? Something like there was a crazy, like a fire on the refrigerated fire. set or something? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like there was like a lot of cursed events that happened on that set. And it's just so controversial because, you know, Reagan, the, the actress that played with it was so young. Oh, Linda Blair. They were really, yeah. Linda Blair, they were making her do some crazy stuff. And that film kind of ruined her career. Like, <laughs> it's just insane. Um, well, well so... you know, Booger Sugar had a little bit to do with it. <laughs> it did, didn't it? <laughs> I definitely heard that. Roller Boogie did yeah. not really do her any favors, though it's fun. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just, um, it's a lot. And uh, I think it's just so fascinating, all the things around it. But even in just the production design around it, the sound design, they were oh, the yeah. first ever to like, how do we elicit fear in like a new type of way? And there was a sound designer that would like, he like recorded the sound of bees in a jar and just things that made you feel anxious and like new ways of like transitioning into scene to scene. And it's just so, it was so far ahead of its time. Um, uh, so yeah, I would say the exorcist, any a 24 film, I'm mm-hmm. a huge fan of, I love hereditary. I love um, midsummer and really anything that they do is, is just so artistic. They obviously were behind euphoria and producing that. Um, and so they're really leading the way as a production company. I think everything they do is good, but also queer films like truly to Wong Fu. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a cheerleader. Um, Showgirls, like just the classics are also just fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of similar uh, tastes in, in the film department for <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, good. now that I know that you're into horror, um, I'll have to send you a couple things. Uh, that yeah. I'm a big fan of yeah. as well. Okay, good. Well, yeah. I've, I've had such a lovely time chatting with you, Denali. I look forward to uh, next time. Yeah. And uh, and look forward to finding out when you're going to be at uh, Gloss. So I'll hopefully be there as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, we had to reschedule it because actually, and I don't know if this is like a rumor or nothing, but they just, they were not anticipating the uh, size and the like, um the response that they had from it and so they're trying to like rework things and i think that's probably like i'm i think i'm uh going to be on it but we're still pushing the date it was supposed to be earlier um but either way uh, look out for that and i'm also going to be at DragCon in may Wonderful. for that so i'll be in la for that and but i'm always in la so oh fantastic well yeah. i look forward to seeing you the next time you're here and i've had the loveliest time chatting with you today i have too craig thank you so much for inviting me 